Hello, church. Welcome to Gallery Church Online. We are so glad you're with us today. As we enter into this gathering now, let's pause together and be still. Breathe slowly. Let's recenter our scattered senses upon the presence of God together. As we settle down, I thought that a great way for us to center ourselves would be to meditate on Philippians 4, 5 through 7. So say this out loud with me. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 5 through 7. Let this be our focus today. And as we prepare for this week, if you are new to our church, we welcome you. My name is Lana and I'm one of the elders here. We are so thankful that you've decided to join us today. At any time during this gathering, if you need prayer, you can open up our app and click the prayer tab or you can email us at prayer at gcbdowntown.com. Everyone is invited to join us for a Zoom lingering time. This is a time to see one another, celebrate what we are learning, ask questions, respond to our ever-changing challenges, and take the Lord's table or Eucharist together. The link is in the description on whatever platform you are watching this video on. If you are watching this during the 10.30 a.m. premiere, the Zoom link will be live 10 minutes after the benediction. And for those of you watching later in the day, the link will be live again at 7.30 p.m. Before we move forward in today's worship, let's enter into a time of focus on generosity. It is so important that we keep the character of our Father in Heaven in front of us at all times, as well as His will for our lives. He has displayed generosity throughout His life and we desire to follow His example. Please join me now in this generosity prayer. Father in heaven, there is nothing I have that you have not given to me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide by. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord who love Him with free hearts and serve Him with renewed minds, who, withstanding the delusion of riches that chokes the Word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world, I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person amongst us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with the true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to the world. Amen. I'd like to encourage you to take a moment right now and to give. You can give through the app or online at gcbdowntown.com slash giving. 
We hope you enjoy the service. Welcome to week 3 of our 7-week series about the violence in the Bible and our struggle with vengeance. We are exploring a new way of looking at the scriptures in light of God's revelation of Himself in Jesus Christ. We're finding inspiration for how we live in our generation, non-violently, as the Gallery Church today. But in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes. But you shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hevites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, and so you sin against the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 18. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon, and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon, and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them, as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jahar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven, and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since, when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Joshua 10, 9-14 So Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country, and the Negeb, and the lowland, and the slopes, and all their kings. He left none remaining, but devoted to destruction all that breathed, just as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings in their land at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Joshua 10, 40-42 
Christ came to fulfill the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Matthew 5:17 and 18 Love your enemies. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 43-48 The conquests and killings which are commanded by God in the Old Testament in no way corrupt God's perfect justice or his love for his creation, specifically humankind. The peoples in the Old Testament whom God ordered attacked were cruel and evil, but even in these commands, the Lord's infinite mercy never ceases. It is also necessary to understand the literary aspects used by biblical writers. God does not take away the humanity of those who wrote the different books of the Bible. On the contrary, he uses their life experiences their emotions, and their gifts with which he equipped them. Before my 34th birthday, I had not read the Bible and knew nothing about the God of the Bible and the Israelites. Neither did I know God as my father and much less this mathematical equation, God equals love. When I turned 35 years old, I began the process of knowing Jesus, whom I had also previously not known. As Job said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you, and it is easy to see the love of God through his Son. So when I had the Gospels in my hands, I could not stop reading them until I had read the four versions of the Good News. Later I moved on to solid food, difficult to process, the Mosaic Law and the Conquest of Canaan. In my times as a new believer, it was difficult to relate the words of the Apostle John, God is love, with the history of Joshua, who, obeying the commands of God in Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 18, exterminated every living thing in many of his battles during the conquest of Canaan, the Promised Land. Is there any way to justify the actions of God? Can God's actions be justified? In trying to justify the violence that God commanded during the conquest of Canaan, some people try to explain Joshua's actions in different ways. Some think that Joshua and others who came before Moses wrongly interpreted God, God's commands and simply acted mistakenly in what they thought were God's orders. The reality is that in the Old Testament, there is no indication that the Israelites misunderstood what God commanded. On the contrary, each time they disobeyed God's commands, 
they were punished. Others think that the God of the Old Testament is somehow vastly different from the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is a God who is angry, judgmental, and violent, but the God of the New Testament is a God of love and peace. Therefore, in our minds, there is no problem when the God of the Old Testament orders the extermination of peoples and are thankful that they live in the times of the New Testament. The reality is that the Bible gives no credence to any of the previous ways of thinking. It is very clear when we read Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 2, and Deuteronomy 20, 17, when God commands Israel to show no mercy to them, and you shall devote them to complete destruction, that this is very specifically referring to the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. Joshua conquered Canaan in the manner in which God commanded in Deuteronomy, and yes, it looks like it includes the killing of men, women, and children. It is very important that we use scriptures to interpret scripture. The truth is that God does not need us adding excuses to justify his commands. We are not the ones giving lessons to, in morality to God. On the contrary, the biblical teachings are necessary to teach us lessons that we otherwise might not have stopped to think of. Who were the Canaanites? The Canaanites were not a peaceful or innocent people massacred by a psychopathic Joshua. Far from it. God knew well the perversity of these people and lays out a series of practices lays out a series of commands to the Israelites regarding sexual morality that they would not follow the practices of the Canaanites. Leviticus 18, 1-23 presents all those acts of these perverse people which God's people must avoid. All manner of incest, orgies, religious prostitution, zoophilia, infant sacrifices, all of which were part of everyday life in these lands. Historic studies affirm that the Canaanites believed that sexual acts between Canaanite gods and goddesses were the magical acts that brought rain to the earth. Indeed, the Canaanites were not pacific and innocent farmers. But in Deuteronomy 9, 4-6, God speaks clearly to the people of Israel, Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going to possess their land. It is because of the perversion of the other nations that God took the land from the Canaanites and gave it to you. It is not because you are better or because you have more moral integrity. The Lord your God will throw out these nations because of their perversity, not your goodness, as well as to fulfill the promise that he made to your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You need to acknowledge the Lord your God does not give you this good land because you are good, because you are not. You are a proud, stiff-necked people. So why the severe judgment towards the Canaanites? In our theology of the Old Testament, one of the things that drew my attention and clarified much about the sanctity of God is that Israel was not a nation chosen from many nations. Israel was a nation that God created so he could relate to humanity to bring the message of salvation to human beings. It is for this reason that God also chose a place on earth for his nation to occupy a place that would become the residence of God. God did not choose to throw out the Canaanites because they were perverse. No, God had chosen a place that he would inhabit in the midst of the nation that he created. The Canaanites were living in this land, 
living perversely and committing atrocities, venerating false gods in the land that God would have for his. Let us not forget that God came to the earth for the first time to a holy, sacred, perfect place, the Garden of Eden, from which Adam and Eve were tragically thrown out because of their disobedience. Death had never been a part of God's plan for humanity. Death was caused by humankind's disobedience. The Bible tells us in Genesis 3 that the first sacrifice that Adam and Eve were to witness were animals to cover their nakedness. God himself made coverings for Adam and Eve from the skin of animals. God has always sought a home on this earth. After the Garden of Eden, he abided in the tabernacle and later the temple in Jerusalem. We know that God is holy and his presence requires a holy place. This is clear in Leviticus 18, 25 through 26. And the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations. The people who inhabit this land must be holy, set apart, and obedient. God continues in Leviticus 23, 12-13, I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves, and I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. It is clear that God did not accost or assail the Canaanites simply for being Canaanites, or that God subtly deceived the Israelites so they would massacre the Canaanite people. By no means, God is a holy God who demands to inhabit a holy place in a holy land in the midst of humanity. It is ultimately for this reason the Canaanites had to be ousted. Did the Canaanites have the opportunity to be saved and to stay in Canaan? The reality is that the Canaanites were warned before they were wiped out. Even though they wanted to discredit God and affirm the opposite, we can look to Genesis 15. God brought Abraham to Canaan, but he forewarns Abraham that his descendants will languish 400 years in captivity in other lands. In verse 16, God says to Abraham, And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites, Canaanites, is not yet complete. In conclusion, these lands had more than 400 years to abandon their iniquities, atrocities, and evil ways and follow the God of Israel. But did they know about the God of Israel? This is a very good question. And the answer is in the writings of the Old Testament. After God freed the Israelites through many signs, causing so much strife in Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, the power of God was known throughout the earth. Exodus 14, Exodus 15, 14 through 16 says, The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling seizes, the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. 
In Joshua 9.9, the Gibeonites tell Joshua they know all of what God has done in Egypt and how he had destroyed other nations and offered themselves to be servants of Israel. Let us also remember that Rahab in Jericho, who unconditionally trusted the God of Israel. Joshua 2.10-11 says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens, above and on the earth beneath. Rahab the prostitute believed and was saved in the killing which followed. The sins of Rahab were forgiven, and her life was spared. Everyone in Jericho was afforded seven days to recognize the God of Israel as the one true God. But out of approximately 600,000 inhabitants, only Rahab believed. God consistently demonstrated to the inhabitants of Jericho both his power and their sins. God showed grace to them, giving them time to repent. I don't know what anyone is thinking about right now, but it is important to make the distinction between arbitrary assassinations and executing justice to bring down evil. Was there complete annihilation in Canaan? Many times we think that Israelites extinguished all trace of life in Canaan. But again, scriptures show us another perspective during the distribution of the lands in Canaan. In chapters 13 through 23, Joshua repeatedly mentions that the Israelites were not able to expel all of the peoples of Canaan, and many of them lived among the Israelites as slaves. In chapter 23, Joshua Joshua reminds the people of Israel how many nations God has expelled from the promised land, and promises that God will banish many more so as to deliver these lands to Israel. In Judges chapter 1, there is another recounting of all the nations the tribes of Israel were not able to vanquish from the promised land. And in Judges 3-4, it is clear that this was through the will of God to try the Israelites. They were left there for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Let us look at the passages in which God commands the conquest. In the majority of them, God uses the following words, destroy, displace, dispossess, expel the Canaanites in Exodus 34.24, Numbers 21.32, Numbers 32.21, Deuteronomy 4.38, Deuteronomy 9.1, Deuteronomy 11.23, Deuteronomy 18.14, and Deuteronomy 19.1. We do not see commandments to annihilate from God in these passages. For God, it was more important that the Canaanites not live in the land that God had consecrated for his holy dwelling with Israel. God has used the same same strategy in other biblical passages. Adam and Eve were thrown out of paradise. Cain was forced to live in exile. We do not see God assassinating any of them because of their disobedience. The bloody result of the Canaanite massacres was a direct result of the resistance they offered and their opposition 
not because of a bloodthirsty God. Then how should we understand the passages that speak of complete annihilation of those peoples? There could be a contradiction between God's commands in Deuteronomy 20 and the passages in which Joshua speaks of the Canaanite peoples who lived among the Israelites. Sometimes we see fierce battles where Israelites' armies completely exterminate entire nations, and then we see that other Canaanite nations were subjugated as slaves to the Israelites. Perhaps we as a church can come to this agreement. Many literary devices were used by the writers of the Bible to emphasize certain happenings, and especially to emphasize the importance of God's commandments, and underscore that they be obeyed. One of these literary devices is hyperbole, which is exaggeratedly augmenting or diminishing a quality or property. For example, last night the Orioles were slaughtered by the Yankees. We annihilated them. Eight to one was the final score. Last year, Brazil killed Chile in a battle of world powers in an easy victory, five to zero. This use of hyperbole is used in the New Testament as well as the Old. For example, Matthew 9.29, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Matthew 23.24, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Many of these historical recountings in the Old Testament may have been exaggerated by the authors so God can demonstrate the seriousness of his commandments and his holiness. Joshua 11.21 says that all of the descendants of Anak were destroyed, but in Joshua 14.12, when Caleb's age was 85 years old, he asks God's permission to drive out the Anakim from Hebron. Using scripture to interpret scripture, Joshua 10 clarifies Joshua 20. We can see that Deuteronomy 20 is hyperbolic, that God's heart was in expelling Canaanites, not exterminating men, women, and children. In conclusion, we should never forget the heart of God and that his desire for humanity was never death, killing, war, assassinations, massacres, annihilations. These were never God's ideas or intentions. He did not desire the death of any human being. On the contrary, when disobedience and sin entered the Garden of Eden, God immediately introduced the solution for reconciliation his son, Jesus Christ. We should never let our eyes stray from Jesus, who is the complete revelation of the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus wept. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus came to save and redeem all that had been lost. He came to fulfill his purpose in regards to the law so that he could cover us with his love and grace. This is the Jesus in whom we believe and of whom we should testify to others. Amen. Questions. What is the difference between feeling sorry or pity and having compassion for someone? Which of the two leads to justice and equality? 
Which of the two leads us to love our neighbors? Acts 17, 30 and 31. But God, having overlooked the times of this ignorance, now commands all men everywhere to repent. For he has established a day in which he will judge the world with justice, by that man whom he appointed, giving faith to all by having raised him from the dead. Does God's compassion prevent him from being just? Matthew 5.30 And if your right hand causes you to fall, cut it off and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one of your limbs and not for the whole body to be thrown into hell. What would happen if we followed through on this hyperbole literally? So let's do our benediction together. As we go from here today, may we understand more clearly that any image we have that does not line up with Jesus is wrong. May we see and know that God is love. May we understand that he has always been love and may we never doubt that he always will be love. I hope you find yourselves in the loving arms of our Father in heaven this week. May grace and peace be with you.